guys welcome back to this week's episode of mastering agility this podcast series aims to bring in the biggest industry thought leaders authors consultants you name it to discuss all things agile and to make sure that you get the latest information when it comes to this podcast go to masteringagility.org subscribe to the all fresh newsletter and help us bring you the best content possible We'll keep you up to date with the latest episodes, fresh giveaways, exclusive interviews, you name it. Show us some love and subscribe to that newsletter. My name is Sander Deer and I practice Scrum from the trenches myself. And in this week's episode, we have David Pereira, head of product. And we're going to discuss what he sees is the end of Scrum. Could it be the end of Scrum? I'm curious. Let's find out. David, thank you very much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for inviting me. I'm glad to be here. Me too, man. I got triggered by your article, Scrum, the game might be over for you. Where did that article origin from? What's your take? Yeah, my take is from my experience. You know, after 10 years working with Scrum in different scenarios, I've I've realized that many times we're using Scrum as a process to deliver software faster instead of delivering value. And what I notice is executives are not really willing to empower product teams and generally they want to remain in control. And what uh, it turned to be right now, the let's say a good framework for them is safe and safe is more prescriptive, provide more security to the executives, more people inside boxes, and then I start seeing more people getting certificate and safe and so on. And I realized product owners don't want to, to use Scrum anymore. They want to be called product managers. They want to escape from these. Developers say, wow, I don't want to work with these anymore. Give me Kanban, give me something else. And it started getting confusing with professionals. And from my experience, I said, hmm, that might be over soon. Because when people reject work with something, then it starts getting more complicated. And when I said that, it's based on what I have been observing uh, lately, mainly on the last three years of my experience, I noticed a significant change and resistance to Scrum. Don't you see the significant resistance to save as well? To save, that, that is the funny part, you know. Uh, there is a resistance from professionals. Uh, I would say many people don't want you to save because you are limited and it's very prescriptive and hard to work with that. But the executives on the other hand, love that because they remain in control and uh, well, they define what's gonna be done by who. And this Scrum, I see the resistance mainly coming from, like, not mainly, but coming hardly from let me just go back. I, I see Scrum, the resistance coming very hard from the executives because they transform Scrum in a kind of Scrum waterfall. So mm-hmm. it, it is uh, a way of delivering software faster. And then developers, on the other hand, want to go to Kanban or something else because they feel like trapped. It's like you put a lot of pressure to deliver a lot of features in a sprint of two weeks. It's not about delivering value. But safe, on the other hand, executives would support more. And then they, you know, at the end of the day, who decides how companies are going to work are the executives, not the product teams. 
Uh, looking at the way that we need to innovate in order to still still remain relevant, do you think our behavior like this is ultimately going to end up with, especially larger corporations and their demise? Well, I don't believe these uh, companies uh, will succeed in the future, and I believe they will end up being disrupted. Uh, just to state, I'm a, a true believer of Scrum, but what I, I see is Scrum is incomplete by design. You cannot succeed with Scrum without putting something else. Like you need solid product management, for example. But what I see is like uh, the big corporations tend to be more prescriptive, but then a small one who decides to be agile can disrupt a big market because they decide to focus on the value instead of focus on delivering features and trying to define who does what by when. Exactly. So there indeed my question, how is this sustainable? Like the large corporations, the really big conglomerates, they usually have the name, the legacy. They have been there for quite a while, but now we're getting into such an era where that is not going to last. What would your advice be to those kind of organizations? To be open, that would be my advice. And, uh, you know, to get where they are now, they had the right people leading the company. But to remain there, they might need a different mindset. So my recommendation, what I see is onboarding people who have a value-driven mindset. Because what I see happening in many companies, sometimes the CPO is under the CTO or under the CIO, he's not part of the executive board. And then he becomes powerless because he's not talking at the same level as the others. I think the CPO should be part of the executive board because companies, they, at the end of the day, they are meant to deliver value. And if they don't have someone who understands how to organize teams and that, they are going to fail. So I think if executives are open to put a young guy there with a different mindset to help them remain at the throne, that would be the way, but not trying to do the same things they did 20, 30 years ago. That will not keep them in the throne for long. Do you think a CPO, a chief product owner, is already one of those dysfunctions? Where still you, you have multiple captains on the ship, right? You still have multiple product owners, which inherently states there is no single point of um, making those decisions. Yeah, sure. Uh, I, I think the uh, when I see the, the CPO for me is someone like empowering the team and fighting for what is needed to have a product organization. I don't see that CPO being the, the uh, sole point of truth, but I see him as a required supporting person to help creating the environment where team can succeed. And uh, for example, I've been in many situations where there was a, there was a head of products, but the, the head of product reported to the CEO or reported to the CTO. However, this guy was not part of any board meetings. And then in the board meetings, they decided what was part of the next roadmap for the next year. So we are going to deliver this and so on. And the question for the head of products was, how are you delivering that? Not if it makes sense at all and not where we should land. 
but it was more like what we should deliver. And I, I wouldn't like to cause a dysfunction having one person deciding everything, but having a person helping the team progress, enabling the environment, you know? Yeah, how is that different from a regular product owner to give the audience um, your perspective on that as well? Yeah, the, the product owner, I think it's in, it's in a lower level because imagine, uh, let's take an organization like uh, e-commerce. Take an e-commerce with 300 employees. Um, and then you look at that. One product owner for the whole e-commerce, that's not going to work because inside the e-commerce, you could say you have multiple products. You could say, for example, you have the mobile app. You could say like... You could take one experience from end to end and call that as a product. For example, referral program. You have different moments where referral happen. Could be a product owner for referral, a product owner for, for example, retention and so on. But the chief product officer would be the lead of the product owners. And then this guy would help the product owners play the same music. It's like if you imagine an orchestra. An orchestra has a lot of mu musicians, right? And uh, and then there's someone there, the conductor, just helping them. Uh, and what is the role of the conductor? The conductor is not playing any instrument, but he has a very important role to ensure that the other musicians play the music beautifully. And I think this is the role of a CPO, to ensure that the product owners deliver value in synchrony. So that's what I, I think. It's a really nice analogy and a step back to uh, an episode we released, um, I think two or three episodes ago with Gerald Leonard, uh, who was talking about workplace jazz and incorporate or working with your, the whole concert hall as well. The people in the back and the people on the balcony needs to be, need to be involved and have the same experience as the people in the front. How does a conductor or a CPO in this case help with that? And how do they incorporate the boardroom management too? Yeah, I think we, it's about connecting the dots, right? Um, I always think the best person on the job is the one who should make the decision. And then when you think about the leadership, they are the ones to make the decision on where we should land. What, what, what is important now? For example, which value should we perceive? Which problem do we have? Uh, we have, for example, a customer acquisition problem because our customer lifetime value is too low and uh, there's a disbalance. And I say, we need to solve this here. So it's a strategic thing and they make this kind of decisions. But product owners are more groundwork and you have contact with the end users. And we should be the best as product owners to make decisions that impact the end user's life. So how can I ensure that we are, for example, increasing our customer lifetime value? The how question in this case would remain on the lower level because the, the product owners can experiment and the leadership would trust. I defined already what problem to solve and where we should land and then empower the other guys to do that. And the CPO would connect the dots and a dysfunction I see is when you ask some executives, what is your highest priority? They will say, my highest priority are, is our clients. So that's my highest priority. Then you ask, when was the last time you talked to one of them? Then there's nothing, there's no answer. 
Because their highest, the highest priority of the executive is not the client. It's to support their leaders, to provide an environment where the leaders can deliver on the client needs. But the product owner's highest priority is to deliver value. And the product owner is the closest to that. So I think the CPO is the one helping with this, like strategic part and technical part. The And the, I'm not saying that the product owners are solely execution level. But the product owners should should be the ones defining what is the what is value. How do we get that from? Like there is a three aspects. I think what is value for the end user? What is uh, are the problems the end users have? Then we should solve, and then we connect to what is viable for our business model and feasible with the technology we have. Product owners should help solving this puzzle. Now. Coming back to what you were mentioning um, at the beginning, people want, especially the C-level management, want to remain in control. Why mm-hmm. do you think that is? Oh, because, you know, power is good. It gives you a sense of, uh, well, I am the one who decides what happened. And imagine executives have been doing that for decades. And it's not something you change from one day to the other. Because that's how business worked for a long time. And the agile mindset, I know it goes back also to decades, but when you think the executives were the guys powerful, the ones who decide and so on. But now with the agile, they should be more like as invisible guys, empower the others. And it changed. So the question is, if we want to go in a different direction, can we really go with the people we had because I think doing more or less the same things as we have done years ago, we will get on in the same way, same place as we are now. So I think for executives, they need also to embrace Agile and invest time understanding. And there's a problem of trust. Can they trust the others will make the decisions they w- would accept? And uh, you can only build trust with results you cannot build trust with words and there there is a fear because executives would say huh if i empower someone and then this person let's say fucks it up i have my job in the role so i better decide everything so that there is a very thin line there and not everyone is willing to take the risk would you consider then when we are going into such an agile transition and we're designing or forming our scrum teams or teams that we're working with in safe. We are looking at, Hey, these are the, this is the problem that we're trying to solve the product that we're trying to build. And we need these and these skills for that. So that's what you do with a team. Would you consider that's a good idea for C-level management as well? Like these are the skills that we need in your boardroom. Do you still, do you as a team have that? Yes or no. Or do we need to redesign that? Totally, exactly, and that is the point. And I think many agile implementations, or let's say transformations, fail because they touch only part of the company, the execution, but not the core. And if agile, like we say, we do agile, but where do we do agile in the leadership room, or do we do agile in the execution? Because if we are doing uh, only in the execution, eh, actually, we are not really, uh, we are doing agile. We are not being agile. Because this is taking agile as a means 
it's not a means to an end. It's the end itself. And when agile is the process and that becomes the end, we do that for the sake of doing, that's not going to happen. But I'm unsure if companies are brave to look at their board and say, what do we need here in this room to show uh, to send a message that we are agile? And I have seen that once already. And how I saw that was in one of the e-commerce I worked we had a change of the leadership and the CEO arrived and he said, we are going to work agile. And now it, that's how it is. All of our departments will be agile. And the first thing he did was to do a transformation in the department because generally agile goes only in, let's say, in the product development. As you mentioned, you have the design and then you have the UX and you have the software in the team and you call us the scrum team. What he did, he said, you know, we have a process that sucks because we have a department called category management and then we have another called logistic and then we have another uh, called uh, accounting and so on. He said they are very segmented and they have dependence with each other. He said, what I want to have now is one scrum team focus on one specific category. So there is one team focused on kids category and this team will be handling from end to end. And there will be a product owner there. And then he disrupted the structure of the company itself. And in the leadership team, he said, our goal here is to provide guidance and support. So we tell where they want to go, where they should land, and then we support them getting there. So that's our goal. We shouldn't micromanage on the how. And some people didn't adapt to that. They were asked to leave. And the board of the company was changed quite a, a, a lot, but then we could really leave Agile in this situation because everyone would understand when we were talking about Sprint. When a, when a category manager came to me and said, I want this, he wouldn't say for tomorrow. He would say, I want to do something. Does it help with your goal? And I want that to, uh, let, let's talk about it because this is in my Sprint and it become a very different conversation. Because generally, a category manager would just say, I want this by yesterday. I, I need it. And I don't care about your sprint. I don't care about anything. I just want that. Get it done. But once they leave that in an organization, that will help. That's a completely different mindset um, from managing to being a stakeholder and having a discussion with that product owner. Yet, Scrum Masters, product owners, even developers in the Agile teams, uh, they seem to be under scrutiny. I, I mean, if you look at LinkedIn, you'll see the certifications for Scrum Master and a product owner and such popping up everywhere. I never see anyone saying, hey, I've become a true agile leader. I'm a supporter from the C-level management. Do you think that is where we need to go next? Yes, that's where uh, we need to go next. And uh, this is what I believe to be missing. And that's the reason I said, the, the game might be over to Scrum as it is now because we lack support. We lack leadership saying that's how we do agile. That's how we do that. Because if we don't have this, it becomes like it's a resistance. If you want to do something as a product owner, you will face resistance with the leadership. So you have a different mindset. It's trying to connect something that just doesn't go. 
the leadership remains waterfallish, let's say, and then the other agile, and then there is a conflict all the time. Leadership wants that. Let's say we are agile, but we have a deadline. We are agile, but we have a roadmap with features. We are agile, but we don't accept change. So we need people supporting the 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 team, as you mentioned, certificates about leadership. No. I have barely seen that uh, about uh, agile leadership. I have barely seen the only product owner, Scrum Master. And true, people are uninterested in doing so. Now, for those in, in the more management level that are currently listening, what do you feel you're, you're working as a head of product now, uh, assuming that you work with C-level management continuously? What would you say this is the characteristics that you need to display? This is the behavior that would be supportive of achieving those goals of the Agile teams? Yeah, that's a, an interesting question. Yeah, and I talk a lot to, to the C-level and so on. And wh what I, uh, I have seen is it's a conversation uh, focused on the value. And uh, it's being more curious, you know? It's uh, when, when I talk to, to the CEO of the company, I, I always talk like, what is bugging you? What, what is, where do we want to uh, land as a company? What is your vision? I try to understand what is his mind, where he wants to go. And he shares this kind of perspective. And then that makes it clear where he wants to go. And I say, can we ag agree on OKRs? Can we agree on objectives and make that more concrete? And then I can explore with the team how to get there. And he says, totally fine. And then he, what he does, but he's a very mindful person, he offers help to resonate once we are going to go on the solution level. He says, just try to learn as fast as possible. And if you want my help to resonate on your concept, just ask. But I don't want to be there as a mandatory person. I'm offering help. I, I, because if you feel that I am micromanaging you, then just don't invite me. And this is something that I miss in many C levels. And in this case, he says, you know, this is the vision and try to learn how to get there and then adapt me if it makes sense or not. Where are the struggles where you need support because then I will help you get there. And this is something that I long more in the C level, being open to share problems and opportunities and encourage people to learn and instead of encourage people, not encourage, but to force people to deliver. Because many times the conversation is, well, I need to deliver this referral program. You need to deliver this feature and so on. It's not like you need to learn what makes our customer return to our website. You need to learn why they buy once and they never come back. Yeah, <clears throat> sorry. A question that I get asked quite frequently, who pushes back to this level of management? You work with the C-level. Uh, Scrum Masters are supposed to help um, the organization embrace Scrum, embrace empirical mindset. Who needs to push back? Can developers do that? Do you as a head of product do that? Do Does the janitor do that? Yeah, that's a, a, a question. For, uh, I think it... Uh, the first one should be like a, the pro, the head of products, the product owner has directly contact, yes, should push back. And it becomes really tricky how to push back. And it depends on the, 
the let's say the profile of the CEO because some people are very dominant and they don't give you a room to say ah that uh, maybe it's not the right thing but what i like doing uh, there are two approaches for me one is being a consultant at the end of the day you know the CEO will make the decision and once it happened uh, like this we just planned this sprint and it was a monday and then on tuesday morning the CEO called me to the office and said, you know what? I want you to ask the team to implement a chatbot because our customer service costs are skyrocketing. I want a chatbot on our website that will make everything better. Go and talk to them. And I said, no, let's go with me. You talk to them. He said, why? I'm telling you, you just go and talk. He said, well, it will happen like this. The message is the following. We planned this print yesterday and it has nothing to do with chatbots. And you want me to tell them to focus on something else. The message is that our company has no idea what we are going to do. And we are unorganized and we are shifting focus all the time. They will stop trusting. And if I want to make them stop trusting you, I would prefer you to go there and tell them that. And then he said, why will they stop trusting? It's a good idea. I said, it's an undigested idea, which we haven't tested. And what I would expect you from, as a CEO is you have more organized points and think well, what is the problem we want to solve and then help the team do that because you are causing confusion now with me. And if you go with the developer, you will cause frustration. Do you want to cause frustration with them and create a risk of people start disconnecting from our organization? And maybe if we do that now, we burn one credit. We do that in one month, we burn more and people will start leaving. And then we have a bad image. Is that what you want? And he said, no. He said, but I think it's a good idea. Help me get there. So I had a chance of just interrupting the team, but I said, I decided to be a consultant and tell the consequence of that. And once you share the consequence, you give the chance, the person deciding. And the other one I mentioned, because I said two, one is play the role of consultant. And the other is being a bit rebellious. So sometimes people will come to you to deliver a feature. And once they come to you asking to deliver a feature, you have the chance of focusing on the feature or trying to read between the lines. Because sometimes they say, I want you to build an app to increase our conversion rate in blah, 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 blah. And you can say, aha, the goal is to increase the conversion rate here. And there is a problem. Let's focus on this sentence. And you don't care about building the app, but you bring the message to the team. We have a struggle with the conversion rate. What can we do about it? And then you work on that. And in the future, you hopefully solve the problem and you bring it back. And then the CEO will say, wow, you did that. How did you get that with the app? You say, well, we took a different approach. It's risky, but you follow what is right for the, from the product perspective, but then you prove with results. Because if we would try to argue challenging the app, does it make sense to build the app? You don't know yet. And uh, you don't have arguments. You don't have observations with the user. So what I think is just be rebellious, follow what is not said it's in between the lines, and then prove with results. Yeah, give the team a goal rather yeah. than the, do this, do that, and then, then we'll reach the goal. That also works, relates back to, for instance, evidence-based management by Scrum, uh, Scrum.org or the OKRs, set an objective, 
try to define how you want to measure that, whether that works or not. But by doing this, do you feel that raises creativity as well? Because I can imagine this sure. is just providing them, this is a solution. We need to build the app and that's going to be our solution that diminishes level of creativity and creates narrow-minded Scrum teams. Exactly. And this is something to change because uh, in one of the startups I worked in Brazil, we, we had an idea of disrupting the second-hand car market because selling car in Brazil, is, like you have a car you want to sell, it's tough. It's bureaucratic and there's a big chance of, of being scammed. So there was a big opportunity there. And then we thought, well, what if we innovate here? And um, and then we started trying to connect car owners with dealers all over Brazil and make the, uh, a deal with them. But we had a development team located in another country, in Dominican Republic. And when I traveled there, I asked the guys, like, why do you come to work? And one of the guys told me, well, I come to work to, to, be, uh, to build an app for the dealers and then they can play speed. I said, no, you don't do that. I, I, I said, there's something more than that. And then I started asking, but why is it important for dealers to place bids in auctions? He said, well, they will buy cars. I said, okay, let's just step back. And then I, I told the story. I said, secondhand car market in Brazil sucks. And we are here to disrupt that. We want to help people sell their cars with safety. They will not have problems and it will be about bureaucracy. And dealers will find the cars that they need for the specific moment. We are disrupting a car market. So it's not about building a feature or something. And then they said, oh, that's more interesting than just building an app. And then they started challenging me quite a lot when I tried to implement. They asked me, how is this contributing to the car market disruption. So I think when you can bring inspiration to the team and the team buy the idea, they will help you escape from your own traps, from your own mistakes. Because I don't expect the product owner to be the one holding every, everyone accountable. I expect you bring the inspiration and that the team will also hold you accountable when you are sliding somewhere. You are also going to commit mistakes. You are also going to force the team sometimes to implement a feature or something like this. But if the team is inspired, they will help you escape from that. And let's zoom a little bit more into that example. Tell us about how the second, uh, second, second hand car market works in Brazil. And why did you want to disrupt that? Mm -hmm. So it's like this. Let's say you want to sell your car. Generally in Brazil, you advertise that in, in, a, in a portal. Generally, there's one called Web Motors, and then people will just call you. They will try to, to visit and see your car and so on. Uh, and then they will try to negotiate directly with you. And in this case, there's a big chance of a fraud or trying to clone your car plate or trying to clone your documents or taking a picture. So there are many things happening there that can create you trouble because uh, sometimes they don't only want to buy your car. They want to get uh, the serial number of your car and do something else with that. So it, it is a big problem. And then what is left for you to, to do? You go to a car dealer and then you try to, to take a car from the car dealer. So you are limited by choice now. So you can take only what is available in that car dealer. And most probably he'll say, if you take a car from me, then I can 
pay 75% of the normal price of your car. So you lose one quarter of the value. And you say, okay, but then at least I will not be uh, scammed. So this is one alternative. Or the other, if you need the money, then most probably the car dealer will pay you 70% of your car. So no good deal for you in any way. And also from the car dealer perspective, it's also bad because the, the car dealer wants to buy cars in a moment, someone is looking for that car specifically. They don't want to buy any car. They want to buy a car that they can make a deal as fast as possible. And then it, it becomes challenging because they may they may buy a car just to make another deal with another uh, car, but then it, it's tricky for them. And then we found the opportunity. And our idea was the following. Let's try to be the middleman here. And uh, we said, what helps car dealers uh, buying cars? What uh, increases the chance? They wanted security to ensure the car was not crashed, to also to, to know the car was not stolen, because this can be a car was stolen. And they wanted uh, the following. If I buy the car and the engine, well, is, is fucked up, I want you to, uh, to return my money. So he, they said, if you can provide all of these things, most probably I will increase the value I can pay. And they said, but I need some specific cars. And once they said that, I need some specific cars. So that's interesting. And I said, okay, then you create the list of cars you need. And whenever we have this kind of cars in our auction platform, you will be notified and you can participate in the auction. And on the other hand, we, we, told, uh, we told the car owners, we make your life super easy. You come to us. We inspect your cars, 30 minutes, take a lot of pictures, and we put in an auction platform. It l- runs for 30 minutes, and dealers all over Brazil can compete for your car. And then after the auction, you receive an offer. If you take it, we transfer the money directly to your account. You go home by cab. If you don't take it, you don't pay anything, and you go home with your car, and you can come here as long as you want. And we made money uh, on a... We, on, a, on the transaction with the dealer. So they would pay us, let's say, a finder's fee for the car. So that's how we, we made money. And it was, uh, what was the challenge is to increase the participation on, on the auction. But what happened is people started selling their cars like this because they trusted us that we would uh, make their life easier. And, uh, and they were not being screwed up by dealers paying a little money for the car or they were not being scammed. So that's the opportunity we found in the market. Is that one of the goals that you're trying to convey during such a development process as well? Because I can imagine this could be a very scary situation where you don't know with what agenda people are going to show up to buy your car. Yes, exactly. Um, so th- that was something we, we, we said in the developments, like security is critical. So we want to ensure that um, we are providing security to our customers and both sides because dealers were also our customers and, and uh, the car owners. So we wanted to provide security. And in this case, the, we, only did, uh, we could only sell cars to companies, to dealers. And we have we reduced the chance of scam because in Brazil, not everyone can be a dealer. 
you need to have an open uh, a registered company or organization and then we reduce the amount of scan and for the car owner it was super easy you go there you leave your car you can go do, do your thing or you just sit around drink your coffee and so on and then you receive an offer you can take or leave so no big deal for you how did you involve your management in, in that process is that the same level of supportiveness is that or what do you, would, would you expect ideally so in this case the management was fully involved but uh, the challenge i had was navigating in the problem and the solution because the management was uh, all the time trying to define the solution and they were a bit far from the from the solution but uh, that was a challenge they wanted to define exactly what we are implementing for example we build an app for dealers to place bids and i i disagreed with that i said we need a way for dealers to participate in an auction and for them was we build an app the world is mobile so we need an app I said mm, okay that that i said but can i just go and talk to dealers I said yeah of course go and talk to them I realized no dealer was using any mobile phone. The road was not so mobile for them. Uh, and then that was the the issue we have faced. And, uh, and then instead of building an app, we decided to build actually a platform, a web platform for the dealers. In the beginning, the man management was not supportive with that because they said that is pointless. The road is long gone, these things of a... Um, portals and so on. We need an app. I said, well, you may need an app, but our car dealers don't want to have any kind of app. So that's how it, 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 I proved with results. I didn't try to convince them. And that is to connect to the part of being rebellious. And this also is a very classic example of, for instance, Henry Ford asking his stakeholders or his audience, what do you want? What's your objective? I want to get from A to B faster. And rather than giving a horse cocaine to get and make him go faster, he created a car. I'm really focusing on that problem rather than the solution itself. So I really like that. Uh, really like this example and how you work with that. So tying that yeah. back to the original question, do you then feel that the demise of Scrum at this point is more related to management behavior rather than the execution of the scrum teams themselves. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's the management behavior that is, is the challenge. Um, and the execution in the scrum teams, I don't, let's say in a functional environment, I don't face resistance. Developers are not unwilling to work with scrum if the, the environment is functional. But in a dysfunctional environment, yeah, of course. The life of, of product owners is a nightmare because then uh, you are not a product owner. You are like a, it's kind of a waiter, you know. You take orders from someone and you send, uh, you're just taking orders and send to someone else. You are not a real product owner. And the Scrum Master struggles quite a lot because um, it's not always that management is willing to be coached. So, that's uh, I connected to saying that Scrum might be over because the management is not accepting doing Scrum as it it works. They are trying to force something else into Scrum, and that doesn't really work. 
Do you think they are skipping over looking at what their problem is and what solution might fit best? Exactly. Like Scrum is being treated uh, in the same as safe, by the way, um, as that golden bullet, silver bullet, the golden solution, one size fits all. Um, and now we're doing Scrum, so everything is going to be a lot better. Do you feel that's, yes, the, that, uh, that's the problem? I feel that's the problem. Um, we do a scrum and we solve our problems or we do safe, we solve all of our problems. But sometimes we just need to look at the mirror and then we find a problem. And we need to think which behavior. Exactly. If, uh, uh, scrum is going to fail by nature if it, it is not uh, incorporated with more techniques. If you don't have solid product management, uh, then it's unlikely you can deliver something valuable. You need to have this discipline and a company um, and supported by the management. So I think it means like a, being more humble, you know? You have something else than just the execution. I think it's... Uh, what is missing is uh, touching more parts of the organization. Strategy, tactic, and execution. It often goes to the execution, but it's missing the tactics and also the strategy. And this is something dysfunctional. And then what would be the incentive for management to get back from their ivory tower and help other people push into that ivory tower? Like they've been they've been on top for, for instance, for decades. They have been there for quite a bit. The way that we have handled management has been there for years, for decades. Um, but now we got to change and there is a shift in how they should treat people. What's going to be the incentive there rather than, hey, here you have a big bag of money and good luck with it? Well, they have a lot of incentives already, but they're just not looking at what is happening. Blockbuster, for example was the, the biggest uh, rental, uh, DVD, a movie rental in the USA. And they had uh, t hundreds of thousands of employees and they were disrupted by some guys from from California. They had a small company um, in Scofield and then they moved to Los Gatos and it's Netflix. So Netflix is really agile and they disrupted. And now Blockbuster doesn't exist anymore because Funny enough, Netflix tried to sell themselves to Blockbuster and they rejected. So, and now they disappeared because the, these executives were unwilling to see Agile uh, as a benefit for them or see Netflix as a way of disrupting because they were not seeing Agile. They were seeing themselves as a rental company. Same happened with Kodak. Kodak had a chance of uh, disrupting themselves uh, with the, the, the digital photography. They had that even before Facebook, but they decided not to. They, they they decided to keep selling their products together and so on. And uh, where is Kodak now? And I think the same is going to happen with more and more companies. If we look, for example, to the automobile industry, Tesla is here. Um, I think it's now the, in terms of market evaluation, is the biggest in the world. Uh, I'm not so sure about it, but I think it is. Uh, and then the question is, do we need more examples of what happens when we are not agile? We just need to look outside and then we will see. So that's what I think. Yeah, so by by really trying to force yourself remaining in that same position forever is going to ultimately force yourself out of that position, right? 
Exactly. So that's what, what I think. Because what uh, we are doing now doesn't mean it's it worked for 10 days. It doesn't mean it's going to work for the next 10 days. So what is happening in the market? And this is something I'm very curious about it. Uh, I think we need to have an, a learner mindset. As a product person, I'm always reading something and trying to understand what is happening and getting experience from people all over the world. I love reading blogs because of that. And are really executives doing that? Or they think they reach the top of their intelligence level and they don't need to reinvent themselves anymore? So that is the question. And what I think in the future, more young people will get to the top and they have different mindset. Then we may have more agile companies. But so far, we still have some people with the old behavior. And that's what it makes it scary and hard to succeed with frameworks like Scrum, Kanban, and other. There are quite some uh, obstacles to overcome indeed. Coming to the last part of this discussion, like you mentioned, you are you, you read, uh, read a lot of blogs, but you also write quite a bit of them. Where can people find you? People can find me on LinkedIn and Medium, David Pereira. So, yeah, uh, I, I write once a week at least uh, on, on Medium. And the reason I do that is I hope people can learn from my mistakes. Most of the things I write are based on my experience and something I probably did wrong and now what I learned from that. Because when I started writing, I thought, like, what would be nice for me to know when I had two years of experience as a product owner. And then I imagine talking to myself and what were the mistakes I committed there. And then five years. And also what would be nice to know before I even started my career. So this is what I try to do, to share perspective and experience. I love it because I read your articles myself quite a bit through the Serious Scrum uh, platform. Love the content there, and I think it's really useful. Same with, for instance, Martin Dalman, who you work with quite a bit. Um, so I can definitely recommend reading your articles as well. What have been the yeah. most influential books or articles that you have read in your career as a head of product? Th that's a very good question. Um, there are a couple of books I really enjoy. Um, one is User Star Mapping by Jeff Patton. This one, it's not really only about user story mapping. It's it's, part, uh, it's really influential because it helps you take a different perspective and think on the journey and what it happens on all aspects. And it's about collaboration. I like uh, Inspired by Marty Kagan. It's, I think it's a must-read for product managers. And um, I also like Escaping from uh, the Build Trap by Melissa Perry. Because this one brings you a lot of uh, insights from a scenario and it's pretty good. So these are the ones about product uh, I really love, but I am a big fan of team and the five dysfunctions of a team. I think it's from, by Patrick Lencioni could help a lot of people to understand what makes a group of people a high performance team. So you can see the dysfunction and once you remove them, you get a high performance team. And regarding to blogs, I have read quite a lot of articles. Um, when I, I, I think out loud here, what comes to 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 my mind, uh, there was one uh, from, you mentioned him, uh, Martin. 
he wrote about we should stop estimating and start forecasting. This uh, for, it was really a very important one for me, and uh, w- the message was the weatherman tries to give the forecast for the weather of next week within the information he has right now, and he may say it's sunny uh, on on Saturday, but then tomorrow he may say it's cloudy, and then two days after he may say it's gonna be rainy, and it's fine. He's adapting the forecast based on the information he has. And then the software world estimation often becomes a commitment. So you give an estimation and that becomes a real commitment. Um, and what, what about changing based on the information we have? So this is one I really enjoyed. Uh, another one I enjoyed quite a, quite a lot was uh, from Villanian. And it was inspiration for my article uh, sorry, Scrum, the game might be over. And he said, Scrum has hit glass ceiling. And I read that and it resonated quite a lot. And I got inspired to write this one after that. That's by Willem Jan Acheling, right? Yeah, you know, well, exactly. I'll include those in the links, uh, both the books as well as the, uh, as the blogs. Now, as a last question, when it comes to the future of Scrum, what would be your hope? My hope is we stop treating Scrum as a process and uh, we, we, I mean, everyone, because sometimes teams also perceive Scrum as a process and uh, executives see Scrum as a way of empowering teams to deliver value. And then they start doing that and supporting teams. And Scrum is living the whole organization. So that would be my hope. Treat Scrum as a framework instead of a process and help teams focus on what matters, which is delivering value. Sounds great. I'm definitely looking forward to see that more materialized than we are currently doing. David Pereira, thank you so much for being here. Welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. Again, David, thank you very much for being here. And you guys, the listeners too, again, for joining us in this week's episode of Mastering Agility. Make sure to go to the website masteringagility.org, subscribe to that newsletter, and let us help you stay up to date with the latest information when it comes to this podcast. Now, all the future giveaways will be announced there too. Speaking of that giveaway, this week's winners have been announced in the newsletter. Want to find out who they are? Subscribe. Do it. Again, I think it was a really interesting episode this week again. Looking forward to the next week's episode. See you guys then.